volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Hello, and welcome to season six of Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership. Season six is focused on teams at the top, where we are exploring how executives and executive teams can create a healthy and aligned and more human workplace culture, both for their team and for the broader organization. Today, I am thrilled to have with us Dr. Adriana Medina Lopez Portillo on the show, where we go deep into the importance of building intercultural competence on leadership teams in order to tap into the strength that diverse teams can bring to a business. So this is a business case, if you will, today. Prior to the podcast, Adriana helped me interpret my results of an intercultural competence assessment that was really quite revealing to me and gave me insights into how I can continue to develop my intercultural competence. So you'll hear a bit of that as we refer to that throughout our conversation today. So let me tell you a bit about My amazing guest, Dr. Adriana Medina Lopez Portillo, focuses on training and coaching in intercultural competence, leadership, and emotional intelligence, communication and diversity, and equity and inclusion. She is a published author. She has designed and led workshops for higher education, not-for-profit, governmental, and corporate clients in the United States and abroad, Saudi Arabia, India, Singapore, China, Myanmar. Canada, Dominican Republic, and other places. Being bicultural and bilingual, it is her passion to build bridges and awareness between people, teams, and organizations. I think you're really going to find that is so clear in my conversation with her. So let's go to the interview with Dr. Adriana Medina Lopez Portillo now. Adriana, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sal. It's so great to have you here. I'm super excited for this conversation today around intercultural communication. Maybe before we can jump in, can you just give me a couple of headlines about your background with intercultural communication? Yeah, of course. First, thank you for having me. My background is has two fronts. One, I'm originally from Mexico, from Mexico City, born and raised there. So I am a foreigner in this country. I live in Denver, Colorado, but I was uh, for 18 years in Baltimore, Maryland. So that is one aspect, like the personal aspect of me, you know, being from a different country in, right. in, the, in the U.S. The other aspect of it is that I studied intercultural communication. I have a master's and a PhD, and then I became a professor. So I actually, you know, I, read and studied the people, the scholars who who have noticed that there are patterns, that groups have patterns and that those patterns of beliefs, behaviors, attitudes matter when we communicate with each other. Mm, cool. Awesome. All right. Thank you for that. And 
This is going to be so interesting. So first of all, <laughs> first question is around trends. Are there any trends that you're noticing sort of just at a macro level, whether it's societal trends or trends at the workplace, in the workplace, as it relates to intercultural communication? Intercultural communication started as more of a global thing where, where diplomats were recognizing that they had no idea about how to interact with other diplomats of right. other governments. Right. And, and that is when it started kind of like in the 1950s and things like that. It continued to develop until very recently. Intercultural communication used to focus more on national cultures. Mm. Oh, I'm going to Mexico. I'm going to hire Adriana to learn about Mexican culture and norms and behaviors so I can do business there. Mm -hmm. But it, for some years now, it started paying much more attention to topics that one would think that diversity looks at. Hierarchy, power dynamics, differences, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what I noticed now is that there is fatigue about the diversity conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, organizations are kind of like moving now towards more wellness and how to stay healthy and uh, having mental health, which is interesting. And of course, there is a part of society who's still wanting to do the culture to culture in terms of national cultures. But I, I think that there was a switch to diversity, equity, and inclusion, like an interest in that. Yeah. Okay. And so you're seeing sort of this macro trends. There, there was a lot of focus on DEI. There's, there still is, at least within the clients that that I'm working with. But you're saying there's a little bit of fatigue around the topic in the workplace. Yeah, that's what I've noticed with with some of my clients. They're mm -hmm. like, we need to change gears a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep that in the back of our minds here as we're having this conversation. I've read some of that in Wall Street Journal and other journals, if you will, that that, that trend is starting to happen. That fatigue is starting to set in. First of all, what is intercultural communication in, in maybe a workplace context? How do you define it? Yeah. Well, intercultural communication is the way in which we interact with each other in terms of differences and commonalities. Mm -hmm. So when, you know, when we think about diversity and who we are as people, the, the cultures that we have, the behaviors, the, the attitudes, the values, we, we end up being, you know, part of different cultures, like me being Mexican, but I'm also middle class. So there, there are behaviors and attitudes that are have a pattern, and that's what puts me into those categories. Right. And uh, intercultural communication is this ability to actually interact across groups, the self-awareness that we are different and the skills to actually be able to interact across cultures, across differences. Okay, that's really helpful. And so there's a competence to it. It's not just about intercultural communication, but it's really intercultural competence. Is that yes. accurate? That's absolutely true. It, the intercultural competence is the skills that we develop in order to, to do that, in order to recognize 
that those differences exist and that mm -hmm. they're legitimate. So I would say that intercultural competence is this capability to shift perspective Mm. and adapt our behavior to human differences and commonalities with the, with the added ingredient of a capacity to look, to experience differences and commonalities with increasing levels of complexity. Mm. What do you mean by that last piece with increasing levels of complexity? Yeah, well, let's say that I'm aware of cultural differences and I can see that Geez, there's Mexican food, there's Mexican music, and I recognize that. And that's one level of, of complexity. And as I get to know Mexican culture, I don't only focus on those visible differences, mm. but I start learning and recognizing what's behind the behavior. So I start actually right. understanding the concepts, the values, the worldviews. So when I'm able to do that, I'm engaging in a different level of complexity because I'm seeing more of it. It's like when you hike a mountain, you know, the more you go up, you have a better view. Right. So that's kind of like the level of complexity I'm talking about. Okay, that's really, really helpful. That, that, that clarified quite a bit for me right there. I noticed in your definition, and you and I talked a little bit before the podcast, the definition includes both understanding of differences and commonalities. And part of what we talked about a little bit earlier was there can be a tendency to focus solely on the commonalities. Mm -hmm. Help, But that's not really getting to sort of that higher level of intercultural competence. Talk a little bit about the distinction here between differences and commonalities and why it's important to focus on not just one, but both. Yeah. Well, if we focus only on differences, we are overemphasizing that which we don't share with the other person. And as humans, we certainly share things with others. Right. We, we need to figure out what that is, but they're, they're like, you know, universal needs. Like we, we all have families, we all have the, you know, we we want to be understood and heard, we mm -hmm. all work. There's like things like that. We, we love certain things and don't love certain things. So when we find commonalities with others, that actually brings us together because there's like this sense of camaraderie that eventually can get us to a sense of belonging because... Yes. You know, this is something that I know that makes me be at ease. So commonalities, when we find them with others, with people we don't know, it's like, ah, I'm at ease. I'm not, I know what this is about. So the unknowns decrease and the stress for the unknown decreases. But the truth is that we have both. Like you and I can have a lot of things in common. We're both coaches. We're both mm -hmm. trainers. And right. that really brought us together when we first met. Right. And it's important for us to recognize that as a Mexican, you're not a Mexican, and as a Mexican, there are differences that you and I have that we need to also look at. So I feel that I'm seen and that when you and I interact with each other, we don't assume 
that we greet each other the same way or that we value right. the same things. Right. So that's why they're both important. If we're not looking at differences, then we're doing what it's called being colorblind. Mm. And that erases the identities of people. Mm. That's so interesting. So the the overuse of the commonalities focus, minim, I'm just putting these in this in my own mm-hmm. words, uh, Adriana, the overuse of it minimizes the way in which people are different. And then maybe in some way people wouldn't feel seen or heard or those differences not being appreciated. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you for sort of that, you know, definition and, and orientation here. We're looking at both the commonalities and the differences in order to develop the competence, the intercultural competence to be effective and, and have the ability to adapt to different people at work. Maybe let's set the stage here, which is why is this important when it comes to a leadership team? So right now, this the the focus for this season is really about building a, a healthy and aligned team at the top or leadership team at the top. Why is it important to have a strong level of intercultural competence when we think about leadership teams? Yes. Well, the first thing that I want to say, if we if we keep thinking about the importance of having first diverse groups, mm-hmm. and it is research that heterogeneous groups work much better, produce better results, are more creative than homogeneous groups. You know, people in leadership positions, it is, even for the business case of the organization, it's important to have a heterogeneous group. Having one doesn't mean that they're going to all get along because there's all these differences. Right. And we may not know how to interact with each other because as a leader, you want for the team to feel included, to have this sense of belonging, for everybody to have a level of fulfillment where they give you their best, mm-hmm. their best creativity, their best ideas, their productivity, everything. So intercultural competence is kind of like the how we do it, like how we bring a diverse group of individuals. What I want is for them to have a sense of belonging and to feel included and to have create an environment where their highest potential is yeah. reached. So we use intercultural communication, meaning I need to have as a leader the skills to recognize, oh, Sal's communication style is different. The way he sees hierarchy is different from mine. The way he expects a leader to operate is different from mine. And that's why he's so upset because I'm actually more of an equalizer and Sal is expecting this hierarchy where I tell Sal what to do. Hmm. So as a leader, I need to be aware of that communication styles, conflict management styles. Yeah, that that makes sense. So the business case is there for diverse (laughs) groups, but those differences can get in the way. And so it's the intercultural competence that helps us kind of bridge that gap between where we want to be as a team and maybe how those those differences might get in the way. Maybe you could speak a little bit to trust and conflict, mm-hmm. meaning I, I see trust and connection at, you know, sort of the foundation of a great, healthy and aligned team. 
And part of what that enables on teams is the ability to have the right level of dialogue and debate so we can make the best business decisions. But how do people think about trust and conflict differently? Like, what are some things that, as we're trying to build those competencies within a team, what should we be thinking about in terms of how different cultures might see trust differently or or build trust differently and think about conflict differently? Oh, oh my gosh. Yes. That, that might be like a five-hour conversation right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, really? And I have like two minutes to answer. Right, <laughs> exactly. First of all, if you have a diverse group and and we don't only mean national cultures yes. and you, there are organizations that are global and there's national cultures, but just... First of all, we're for your audience, we're not talking only about national cultures. We're just talking about groups of people who share, there's like patterns that are shared of behaviors, attitudes, symbols, etc. Mm. So it can be in terms of diversity, we've been talking, you know, our society has been talking about the usual suspects of social class, religion, sexual orientation, gender, etc. So just wanted to clarify that. Yes, that's helpful. Thank you. Oh my gosh. So the first thing to recognize is that we would have to define trust. Like if you're talking about trust with your team, mm. what trust means to you, Sal, it may be different from what it means to me. So mm. the first thing is I would sit with my team and talk about what is trust. And I I would actually have a facilitated maybe or yeah, doesn't have to be right. facilitated, but a conversation around how do we build trust. Just as an example, what scholars say, if, if we're going to talk about national cultures, this mm -hmm. can be also personality. Yes. Some teams build trust by being teams, individuals, cultures by being relational. So in terms, for example, of Mexican culture, if you're going to expand your business out to Mexico, a way in which you build trust is by developing your relationship with me. Mm -hmm. And that means that we go out to lunch, we talk about our families, and that way we're actually getting to know each other. So the trust is built through relationship. Yes. For some other cultures, Trust is built by productivity. So you and I get together. We don't need to go talk about family or anything that for some people may feel very personal and may find like, oh, that's a boundary I don't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. But by getting together, setting those goals, doing, 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 that's more like on the productivity side. So that's how we're building trust. In terms of leadership, it is important for leaders to recognize that we build it. First, we need to know if we mean the same thing. Right. Secondly, we need to know how I get there. In terms of communication, you and I, before the podcast started, we were talking about conflict styles. Yes. And during a situation of conflict, some people tend to be more emotionally expressive mm -hmm. and some people tend to be more emotionally restrained. So for those who are emotionally expressive, they build trust by showing their emotions. Yes. Those who are more emotionally restrained, they build trust by not sharing their emotions. So in a situation of conflict, say at work, 
if you have an emotional expressive person having a conflict with an emotionally restrained people, they are not meeting each other because they're building trust in the opposite way. So going back to leadership and intercultural competence, we need to understand those things so we can facilitate conversations, we can create agreements, we can work together, like talking about it. We're different. How are we different Mm -hmm. in conflict or in a situation of crisis or when we're stressed out or even when we're celebrating? So we can actually create a sense of togetherness and of belonging, Mm -hmm. what we call inclusive. Yes. Okay. That's that's super helpful. It makes sense. I, I guess I hadn't thought about like the idea of first we need to define what does trust mean. Uh, we do a lot of work around conflict styles and and how that might show up differently. But you know, just understanding what trust means to different people and how to build trust, relational versus productivity, the example that you gave makes a lot of sense. When you and I were talking prior to the podcast, uh, Adriana, we talked about exploring some different orientations on how to build intercultural competence. Maybe you can just take us through those different orientations step by step, and maybe let's pause at each step to just kind of have some dialogue. But how do you think about, it's a continua is the way we were talking about it prior to the podcast. Maybe you can step us through what that looks like. Yes, for sure. So, yeah, we were talking about like the intercultural development continuum. Yes. When when you asked me about what does it mean, the increased levels of complexity. So when it's a way in which we understand differences and commonalities, we can have a monocultural mindset. And what that means is that I actually just use myself as the frame of reference through which I look at the world. and then. That continuum that you're talking about takes what what we want as we work on our competencies, competencies, as we develop them. We want to get to an intercultural mindset where I recognize my own lens, my own frame of reference. And I also recognize that other people have other frame of references and we're finding the similarities and the differences without actually judging each other or making the other frame of reference wrong. So the kind of like in the continuum, we have denial where, and that is where people ignore differences, like they just don't see them and they're not interested in them. The next one is polarization. So that's an increased level of complexity when I actually see the differences, although I judge them. So it's it's like a mm-hmm. polarized us versus them. The next level is minimization, which is minimization is the bridge between monocultural and intercultural mindset. In minimization, like I'm like, I was in polarization, judging and paying so much attention to the differences that now I'm going to look at the commonalities. It's like this comfortable blanket that we put on all of us. And it's like, I'm just going to see what brings us together. Yeah. That's minimization. Mm Mm-hmm. But after a while, I recognize, you know, because I am minimizing our differences and I am overemphasizing commonalities, but really my frame of reference is 
like my experiences and my values and behaviors, we end up projecting that on people. Mm. So if we, when we do that, we eventually are going to find conflict. Conflict is going to arise because we're going to find that, oh my gosh, in that meeting, something didn't click. And I'm not sure exactly what it was, but something didn't click. So when we start recognizing that, oh my gosh, I'm like really not paying attention to those differences that matter. When we're talking about this part at work, well, everywhere, but at work, we're talking about the differences that matter for the context because all of this is contextual. But anyway, so I'm starting to recognize, oh, wow, there's something that I'm not getting about Adriana and I'm going to figure out what that is. Then we're getting to acceptance. When we're starting to comprehend that differences exist and we're starting to study them and to ponder about them. And finally, the last step is adaptation. After a lot of practice, a lot of studying, a lot of being immersed in contexts that are not yours, where you actually become a bridge across difference. Mm. Awesome. Just kind of taking some notes here. When we spoke, so we've got this continua of the monocultural, which is a focus on self, my own culture, not really seeing differences, to intercultural, the other end of the spectrum, where we not only accept differences, but we can adapt and become a bridge. And then we've got these stages along the way. It's almost like stages of adult development in a way from denial to polarization to minimization to acceptance to adaptation. It definitely is a developmental yet model. Yes. Okay, that's great. So kind of connecting the dots here, we're living and working in this world of, you know, so many cultures especially in a leadership team level, it's important from a business case to have a diverse team. We know that from research. But the bridge here to making our differences work is thinking about maybe where we are on this spectrum, this these different stages, and then learning how to, to adapt to be more effective. When you and I were talking earlier, you actually did an assessment with me. And, mm-hmm. and what we found in, in my assessment is I'm in that minimization stage, but really kind of inching in toward acceptance. And part of what you shared with me is that about 66, 67% of the population, the US population is in that minimization stage. And you define that as, you know, kind of primarily focused on commonalities and what brings us together. But the challenge is that we can minimize differences and impose our own values on other people. If 67% of the population are sort of in that phase, How do teams think about moving beyond minimization to acceptance and to adaptation? Maybe what are some strategies that we can employ to get better here? Mm -hmm. Well, if the team is into assessments, we can, there is an assessment that measures this specific orientation that would tell you where your team is and where you are at individually. So that's the one thing it's called the intercultural development inventory. So that what that measures is your level of intercultural competence in terms of differences and similarities. So that's the, the first thing. I think that First, the team, there's a lot of self-awareness involved mm-hmm. with the competencies. There's like 
the emotional competencies that we know about, right? Like right. we need to be self-aware. We need to be aware of how we relate to the others and how we manage ourselves. So we, the team needs to want to get to a place where we are inclusive, where people have this sense of belonging. If there's no awareness and we are in minimization, and I don't know that I'm in minimization. I actually think that I'm in acceptance. Like I know right. that I am an open-minded person. I know that I understand what social justice is. I understand that we want to create an inclusive environment, but I don't know that I'm in minimization. The policies that I make, the decisions that I make are going to be actually more minimizing. So we're going to miss the mark as to how we're actually going to reach those who don't think like us and that we're not like us. Right. So it takes leadership and vision to actually figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to see where we're at and we're going to create a plan as to how to move to, you know, the next level and the next level. It strikes me that some of this just has to happen through conversation with mm -hmm. people to understand where those differences and, and commonalities are so that we can create a set of operating norms that, you know, that work for the collective team. How do you, how do you have, do you have any strategies on how to have those conversations so that people can understand differences and also not feel like they're walking on eggshells, if you will? in order to have those conversations? Yes. Well, I do want to bring into the conversation Brenna Brown, her mm. there to lead book, because she does talk about courage a lot. So I don't have like this recipe, like do this, do this. Do right. This. Yes. Three steps to, <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. to being more I, effective. I would be, you know, selling it already and I would have a book. But I think that, I think that relationship building is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And before we started the podcast, you and I were talking and it's like, how do we have these conversations? And uh, it's like, ask questions, get curious, like yeah, be interested right. and have the courage to see what happens. One of the trends talking about, speaking about trends, and I've noticed that in my students, uh, you know, I've been a, a university professor, there is this fear of talking to others because we don't want to offend, we don't right. want to say the wrong thing. And I think that it's time for us to change that paradigm because mm. when we, what that does is it prevents us from actually getting to know the other person. Yes. And what we need is exposure. Mm. So what we need is for you and I to go out to lunch, to have coffee, for you to ask me questions. So we need to develop that relationship. So if out of the blue you decide, okay, Adriana is my employee, I'm just going to ask these questions, but you have never actually created a relationship with me, that's going to be weird. Mm. Like, yes. oh, Adriana, you know, tell me about the day of the dead, but you have never actually asked right. me Right, you know, but I, that would be a weird way to jump into a relationship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But just like with people, how do we? I yeah. I think that we have created this like 
oh, they are different. Like they, whoever they are, like mm -hmm. either for the color, because of the color of the skin or me, I have an accent. And there's like this flag that, oh, there's like this difference. So maybe a curiosity, okay, maybe a strategy. Starting with curiosity, I wonder in which ways we are common. So I wonder what do I have in common with Adriana? That would be one thing. Really striving to create a relationship without thinking. I, I think it's like a wedge that we have like, oh, Adriana is Mexican. It's like, yeah. Adriana is a professor. Adriana is a woman. Adriana is a professional. I'm right. curious about Adriana and I'm going to ask her. And when the upbringing comes up and, oh, you're from Mexico. People love, usually speaking, I'm generalizing, but generally speaking, people love talking about themselves. Yes. If, if they're questioned with curiosity and they don't feel that you're checking out that box, but that's why you need to develop the relationship first. Yes. So. Also, don't be afraid of making mistakes because you don't know how I'm going to respond. And that gap between the not knowing, like I'm curious about Adriana, but I don't know how she's going to respond. You know, if we have that foundation of the relationship, if you make a mistake and if I feel that what you're saying is out of line or whatever, if we have that foundation, I'll tell you. Or I can tell you, you know, I'll tell you, oh, you know, that's private or I don't feel comfortable talking about that. But as a leader, you, I think that it will completely be to your advantage to create an environment that is psychologically safe, where people can make mistakes, talk to yes. each other, yes. that type of thing. So we can actually behave like human beings. <laughs> we cannot avoid yes, I know. conflict or tension. Yes. What we need to learn is how to deal with it. Yes. I love that because it gives me, it gives everyone, I think, permission to have conversations that will help us bridge the differences and why we think differently or our different perspectives or why we are different. Adriana, let me just see if I can summarize a few key points from this conversation today. Thank you. This has been really, really helpful. I know People who are listening will find this helpful. I've found this personally very helpful for me. Number one, you're seeing a trend, if I go back to the beginning of our conversation, where businesses are fatigued by the diversity conversation. There's more focus on wellness, especially mental wellness. So let's just keep that in mind as, you know, as we think about our role of inclusion at work. Number two, we defined in part intercultural competence as understanding both differences and commonalities, both are important, and with increasing levels of complexity in mind. Mm -hmm. And so trying to understand not just the things that are visible, like how we sound or what we eat, but really trying to understand people's worldviews, because that then impacts how we interact with people. Is that accurate so far? Oh my gosh, that's, yes, totally. Okay, awesome. We know from a business case standpoint that heterogeneous teams produce better results than homogeneous teams. So if for no other reason, it's in the interest of the business for us to be interculturally competent. And just, just to say it very directly, this is the diversity case. Yes. What, what we're saying is bring a team that is heterogeneous, which means that there are 
a lot of diversity is represented. Yes. Excellent. Part of this process has to be around defining trust. What does it mean to different people? Defining conflict style. So how do we build trust with each other? How do we engage differently in conflict? And we have to have conversation around how people approach those two very critical elements of a healthy team differently. Yes. If I may add, it is conflict, communication, styles of work. Yes. You know, how do we define work-life balance? Yes. Priorities. So it's a lot. That's great because it's really broader than just trust and conflict, but it's all of these different elements too. Yes. Awesome. We talked about there are stages of development here. And so the great news is hopefully people are open and interested in getting better at this. We go through a process like, you know, maybe anything else in life, but you outlined stages from monocultural to intercultural. And those stages were denial, polarization, minimization, acceptance, and adaptation. And our work here is really about how do we get to acceptance and adaptation? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so some of the strategies you identified were one, be self-aware and how we relate to other people. We need to get to a place where we're inclusive. And it starts with relationship building. And it starts with curiosity. And it starts with getting to know each other and maybe understanding commonalities as well as differences. And I think what really stood out to me in this conversation is, let's not be afraid of making mistakes. Let's be curious about the whole person. And courageous. And courageous. Yeah. Because, you know, if we're going to get into the unknown, we need to be courageous. We need to feel the butterflies and do it anyway. I love it. Adriana, thank you so much. So appreciate your time today. Thank you, Sal. This was very fun. Awesome. Awesome.